Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. I am very excited to be starting a brand new series that we are starting today at Port Life. It's called the Open Book Series. And and what it's all about is that our boss, our senior pastor, Josh Boyser, he's away for four weeks. He's currently in Darwin, hopefully with a bit better, bit, bit better weather than we've got here. And he said to us, he's like, guys... Speak on whatever you feel God leads you to speak on. So we're like, sweet, we're running with it. And uh, we're calling this series the Open Book Series because we're opening up the book, the Bible, and we're speaking on what we feel God has led us to speak on. So today I am speaking on uh, the, the phrase, it's all good. Now, this phrase, it's all good, I actually had it texted to me twice this morning, uh, not because of what I'm speaking on, just because of what the text message was, and it's a phrase that I tend to say quite a lot, actually, and, and I've noticed that there's two different types of ways you can say this phrase. I'm sure there's more than two, but there's two main ones, and the first one is as it is, like, it's all good. You know, something happens, you're like, yeah, it's fine, no worries, it's all good. No, seriously, it's all good. And you mean it. It's like, yeah, it is all good. Like, no dramas, no worries, it's all good. That's the first type. The second type, uh, you say it a little bit differently. You kind of say it like, yeah, it's all good. And uh, it often means the opposite of, of what good means. It's almost as if you're like, <laughs> so good, bro. <laughs> Oh, good in the hood. That's the second type of way you can say this. And I notice that I tend to say this version of it's all good more than I say the first. Maybe that's just me. I don't know if you've ever sold anything on Facebook Marketplace before. I've just recently sold a couple of things. And pretty much every one of the people that I sold different things to changed the time of the day that they were meant to come. Um, so, you know, I came home from work early because someone was meant to come and then they messaged me once I got home and they're like, sorry, I can't come. My kid just got in an accident. The kid's fine. Um, and I was like, I messaged back, oh, it's all good. It wasn't all good. I was actually kind of annoyed. <laughs> but they're the two different types of ways we can say the phrase, it's all good. And in thinking of this, I realized that there's a story in the Bible that kind of has both of these versions of it's all good in it. And it's one of my favorite stories, and that's the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph, it is one of my favorite stories, and I know a lot of people actually love uh, this story as well. And in Joseph, we can see times where it really is all good, but we can also see times where it's like, yeah, it's all good. And so this story of Joseph is actually quite a big one. It's found in the, in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And the book of Genesis is such a huge book. Uh, it's 50 chapters long. And Joseph's section is in chapters 37 to 50. So that's a quarter of this book of Genesis. It's a really huge story. And so today, I am actually not able to tell you the whole story. I'm going to be skimming over bits and skipping bits and summarizing things. So if you know the story backwards and forwards, you'll be like, hang on, you're skipping over this. Yes, for a purpose. I encourage you, go back and read chapters 37 to 50. It's a long read. Um, Take some time. Go check it out. And I encourage you to read it with a study Bible that has a bit of commentary uh, of what the different things mean. Because it was, you know, in a time many hundreds and thousands of years ago that it was written. And so it is a bit removed from our culture. 
So a bit of background info before we get into the story of Joseph. And this is a really important one. We need to know who Joseph is in terms of his family and the history of God's people. So you may have heard of Abraham. Abraham was a man chosen by God. And God said to him, one day your descendants will be many nations. You will have as many descendants as the stars. And he said to them, he said to Abraham, I, want, I have a promised land for you. I have the land of Canaan and that's where your family are going to live and it's a blessed land and you are blessed. And he made this covenant promise with Abraham. That promise was then passed down to Abraham's son Isaac, which was then passed down again to Isaac's son Jacob. So there's this promise that they will live in the land of Canaan and that they are a blessed people and that they, their descendants will become nations. And Jacob is the last patriarch that has this promise given to him. And Jacob had 12 sons. And Joseph was Jacob's 11th son. And what we can read a bit before Genesis 37, in Genesis chapter 34, we read that Joseph's older brothers, his 10 older brothers, I've said they were sinful. It doesn't really cover exactly what they were saying. Like, they were just really bad. Like, they're murderers. Uh, They're not good people. (laughs) Uh, We read in Genesis 37 as well, actually, that Joseph and Jacob didn't like the stuff that these older brothers were doing. They were doing some pretty bad things. And so that's just important background information to know. So now we begin our story on Joseph. And at this time, when our story begins in Genesis 37, we read that Jacob's family is living in that promised land. They're living in Canaan. And we read that Joseph was Jacob's favourite son. Terrible parenting. We all know this. But Joseph was the favourite son. He was such favoured that Jacob uh, gave his favourite son a really fancy cloak. His sons were all shepherds. They lived, they were farmers. They didn't live, you know, they didn't dress up in their Sunday best every day. But Joseph had this coat that was really expensive and really quite colourful. And you could see him from a mile away. And what Jacob is saying by giving Joseph this coat is that I'm choosing you to be my heir. And pretty great for Joseph, right? I mean, Joseph's like, this is great. So good. It really was good. I'm the favourite son. We're living in the promised land. I have this really fancy coat. Except it wasn't all good. Because Jacob's brothers hated him. It says in 37 verse 4, they couldn't say a kind word to him. Like Jacob's brothers really hated Sorry, Joseph's brothers really hated Joseph. And we read in verse 5, One night, Joseph had a dream. It's about to get worse, guys. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. They hated him so much, they wanted to kill him. So Joseph's dreams, basically, I'm not going to tell you what they were. You know the story, you can go look it up. But Joseph had these dreams that basically what it meant is that he had two dreams about how his brothers were going to bow down to him one day. All 11 brothers would bow down to him. And he told his brothers these dreams and they just hated it. They were like, are you serious? You really think we're going to bow down to you? Whatever. Like, okay, just, they hated him. They hated him so much they planned to kill him. And they were carry, as they were carrying out, they were going to go kill him. One of them has this idea, hey, maybe instead of killing him, let's just put him in a ditch and let him die. So then we're like, we're not as guilty, you know. 
We've already done some murder and let's not add another one to our records. He's in the ditch. Still pretty bad place to be. And then, by God's grace, some Midianite traders came through. And Joseph's brothers saw an opportunity and took it. And they sold Joseph as a slave. They sold him for 20 shekels, which is about the equivalent of two years' worth of money. So they scored a pretty penny by selling their brother, and they didn't get the guilt of killing someone. Like, it's all looking good for them. And they got rid of their brother. Terrible. I have a brother. Never wanted to kill him. (laughs) He can be pretty annoying. Hey, bro. And I'm sure I can be annoying to him too, but I've never wanted to kill him. Oh. Context is my brother's running the lights today. I just said I didn't want to kill you. (laughs) I've never wanted to kill him, but Jacob's brothers, it just kind of shows the relationship there that they not only wanted to kill him, they, they went to do it and they sold him into slavery. Like, I've never done that to you either, bro. Just saying. And so now we've got uh, Joseph. We read in Genesis chapter 39 that he was purchased by a guy called Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, the Lord was with Joseph. And he succeeded in everything he did. And he succeeded in it so much that Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph. And everybody in Potiphar's house knew it. They knew that the reason Potiphar's house was blessed was because of Joseph. Because of Joseph's God. Joseph was end up getting put in charge of Potiphar's entire household. And again, we get to this place. It's all good. It's looking all good for Joseph. Sure, he's a slave, but he's in charge of Potiphar's house. The house is getting blessed. He's even evangelizing a little because everybody knows that it's God's, it's Jacob's God is the reason they are so blessed. It didn't stay good though. See, Potiphar's wife had a crush on Joseph. He was a good-looking man at this point. He's, a, he's in his late teens, early 20s. So he's like a good-looking man. And she had a crush and she tried to seduce him multiple times. And he, being a man of integrity, he was like, no, 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 we're not doing this. And she tried so many times and eventually got so just like fed up that he wouldn't pursue her back, she cried out the R word. And she accused him of something he did not do. Potiphar heard of this, she complained to his husband, Potiphar heard, and Joseph was thrown in prison. kind of sucks. Joseph did everything right. He didn't do anything wrong. He was following God. God was with him. Everything was blessed. And then he was accused of something he didn't do and was punished because of it. This sounds a lot like another story in the Bible. Jesus was punished for something he didn't do. He did everything right. Jesus was much loved by his father, And Jesus was despised by others, as was Joseph. There's a lot of parallels between Joseph's story and Jesus' story. So Joseph is in prison, and we can read in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. You know, in chapter 39, four times it says, the Lord was with Joseph. And if something is repeated in the Bible, it means that they're trying to make a point, and the point is the thing that they're repeating. So the point they're making is the Lord was with Joseph. 
through everything, through the good times when he's in charge of Potiphar's house and in the bad times when he's in the prison, the Lord was with Joseph. And in the prison, the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So Joseph ended up running the prison and it was in charge of all the prisoners because the Lord is with Joseph and blesses everything that he does. And so we don't actually know how long Joseph was in prison for. And let me remind you, he's in prison for something he didn't do. And so we begin chapter 40, and it says, some time later. So that makes me think that it's not just a couple of days or weeks or even months. It may, it may even be a few years later. It's some time later, enough that Potiphar, uh, jo- sorry, Joseph is in charge of the prison, enough that they could see his character to be able to promote him to this. And so some time later, a couple of guys uh, join the prison a cupbearer and a baker who worked with Pharaoh, who was the king. And they come into the prison. And then it says in uh, in verse 4, the three of them and the others remained in prison for quite some time. So again, Joseph's been in prison for quite some time now. But the Lord is with him, even though he didn't do anything wrong. And then one day, uh, the the cupbearer and the baker, they both get a dream, or one night, I should say. They got a dream, and they told these dreams to Joseph, and Joseph interpreted them. And what it meant is that the cupbearer was going to be able to go back to the the palace, to to Pharaoh. And the cupbearer was going to live. And Joseph saw an opportunity. So in verse 14, he said to the cupbearer, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Potiphar, sorry, mention me to Pharaoh, so he might let me out of this place. Joseph has some hope again. He has some hope. There's this cupbearer. But interestingly, he's putting his hope in a person and not in God. But he's like, mention me to Pharaoh. Maybe this cupbearer is my ticket out of here. Because God has something bigger in store for me. Remember, Joseph got a dream when he was 17 years old, that one day his brothers would be bowing down to him. And right now he's in prison. He didn't forget what what God had told him. He didn't forget. So Joseph, he's at this point, he's like, it's looking good. I have a ticket out of here. What he didn't know is, is verse 23 is that Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. How sad. You know, I'm guessing Joseph would have been waiting. He had this hope. He's like, the cupbearer is my ticket out of here. He waits a couple of weeks because fair enough, needs to get back into into the good books again with Pharaoh. And then like maybe after that, he'll mention me. He waits a couple of months and nothing. He waits a year and then nothing. He waits two years and then something happens. So Joseph has now been in prison for multiple years. Two full years after the cupbearer gets released, that's two years of waiting on the Lord. Two years of having the Lord with him, but he's still waiting on the Lord. Two years later, the Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. And these dreams, again, I'm not going to go into detail, but these dreams, what it meant, well, actually nobody could tell Pharaoh what it meant. He asked all of the magicians, all the sorcerers, nobody could tell Pharaoh what these dreams meant. 
And it was after Pharaoh was in a bit of anguish, like, well, what do these dreams mean? Is that the cupbearer finally remembered Joseph. He was like, oh, Pharaoh, there was this dude in prison who interpreted my dream and it came true. And so Pharaoh was like, right, we'll get him, get him out. So Joseph got out of prison and he listened to Pharaoh's dreams. And he had the interpretation of those dreams because God gave him the interpretation. God gave him the answer. And he said to Pharaoh, these dreams mean that we're going to have seven years of plentiful harvest and then seven years of famine. But what you need to do is you need to... You need to go and you need to stockpile all the food we have in the, in the, in the plentiful times so that we can give it out during the, harvest, during the famine. And Joseph said, sorry, Pharaoh said to Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, because Joseph had just said all of this, he's like, this is what you need to do. He said, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Sorry, What? Joseph is now in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Joseph is second in charge of everything. The only person higher than Joseph is Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh gave Joseph his signet ring, which meant that he trusted Joseph enough so that Joseph could sign documents on behalf of the king. Joseph was in charge. And do you know what happened? Every time that Joseph went somewhere, wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Wherever Joseph went, people had to kneel down in front of him. Joseph was given a dream when he was 17 years old. He's now 30. He was given a dream at 17 that his brothers would one day bow down to him. And and when he's 30, all of a sudden people are bowing down to him. I wonder what he was thinking in that moment of, oh, is this what God had in mind? So they have the seven years of of plentiful harvest and then they have the years of famine. So we're in year two of the year of famine. And and Joseph's Joseph's father, Jacob, they were also, Canaan was nearby to Egypt and they were also in famine and they were starting to run out of food. So Jacob said to his 10 older sons, go to Egypt. I hear there's this this guy there that's handing out food. Go get some food uh, from, from this man in Egypt. And so we read in Genesis 42 what happens when Joseph's older brothers comes to, come to Egypt to see Joseph. In uh, chapter Genesis 42, verses 6 to 9. Since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. That's the dream. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but they didn't recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he'd had about them many years before. He had this dream. His 11 brothers were bowing down. He sees 10 of his brothers bowing down in front of him. And he goes, oh, God had given me a promise of what was going to happen. God had foreshadowed what was going to happen. In the next few chapters, uh, Joseph then, if you, if you read it just at surface level, you might think that Joseph is seeking revenge on his brothers because he does a couple of things to them uh, that seem kind of revengeful. And you can see he's kind of angry, uh, but you can also see he has such sorrow in what he does. And so this is what I think, and other scholars, other scholars, I'm not a scholar, scholars agree with me. I did a lot of research this last couple of weeks. And they were saying that Joseph is actually testing his brothers because the last time he saw them, 
they were murderers who was trying to kill him and sold him into slavery. They were doing the wrong thing pretty much all the time. He could only see 10 brothers. He didn't see his dad. He didn't see his younger brother. So his first test was like, is Benjamin, my younger brother, alive? As is my father alive? That's his first test. And then his other tests all revolve around the fact that Joseph doesn't know if he can trust his brothers. And he wants to know if they've changed. So please go and read these chapters if you want to know exactly what Joseph did. Eventually, uh, Joseph ends up seeing his brother Benjamin. Benjamin comes to Egypt. And then when he's alone with his brothers this one time, he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. And I found a really, I found a meme. I just Googled Joseph memes. There's some really good ones out there. I found this one. Joseph brothers, they come to Joseph for food and then Joseph reveals himself and Joseph's brothers are speechless. Like they do just a slow blink. Like, what? (laughs) Because they thought he was dead. They had watched their father grieve for many years. This is 20 years after they sold him into slavery, by the way. They had watched their father grieve. They had been grieving themselves. They were saying that all of these tests that Joseph was putting them through, they were saying, this is from God. God is punishing us. They were speechless and they saw Joseph. And they actually were a bit scared. They were like, oh no, he's going he's gonna to seek revenge. He's going to kill us. But this is what Joseph had to say to his brothers. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. See, the brothers didn't sell him. God sent Joseph. And that's what Joseph had realised through all of his years of waiting, is that Joseph was there for a purpose and that God had sent him. You know, I don't think if Joseph wasn't in Egypt, I don't think the Israelites would have survived. I don't think Egypt would have survived. The famine was so great that nobody would have survived. Even though they stockpiled all that food, the famine was so bad that like all the Egyptians had to sell all of their land back to Egypt because they had nothing. Like the famine was really, really bad. And if it wasn't for Joseph, an entire nation, multiple nations would have been wiped out. There would have been no Jesus. Because one of Joseph's brothers, Judah, was one of Jesus' ancestors. God sent Joseph. And that's what Joseph is telling his brothers. He's like, you didn't sell me. God sent me. God had a plan for all of this that was bigger than what we could see. Joseph's father, Jacob, ends up coming into Egypt as well. And they end up getting the best land in Egypt. And that's the reason all the Israelites were in Egypt when we go into Exodus. Um, And then the Israelites became so plentiful that they ended up almost out, well, they outnumbered the Egyptians. And that's why the Egyptians made them into slaves and all things like that. So that's the reason why the the Israelites are in Egypt, because Joseph saved them. Uh, In Genesis 48 and 49, we can read uh, a blessing that Jacob gave to all of his sons. And then Jacob died. And again, Joseph's brothers got a bit scared. In Genesis 50 verse 15, we read, But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. They were worried that their dad was the only person keeping Joseph from doing them harm. But his brothers hadn't realised who Joseph really was. Joseph was a man of God. 
The Lord was with him. The Lord was giving him these skills to be able to know how to deal with his brothers, was giving him these blessings that everything Joseph touched was blessed. And so Joseph replied to his brothers, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. And he reassured them. Joseph was kind and compassionate and caring. Sure, he could have actually took, taken revenge in, in this earthly sense of uh, our sinful nature and it would have been perfectly acceptable in a sinful nature way <laughs> to seek revenge, but he, he was a man of God. He cared for his brothers. This verse 20, I actually want to focus on that. This is my key verse for today. As we're at the end of our Joseph story. Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. It's all good. Everybody, anybody heard of Hebrews 11? It's known as the faith chapter. And in Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews, he mentions a whole bunch of people from the Bible and how full of faith they were. And this is what Hebrews uh, 11 says about Joseph. You're probably thinking, oh, it might be about how he was governor, how he remained faithful, even in prison, how everything he did was blessed because of God, because he was faithful. No, it doesn't say anything about what Joseph did, about how God blessed him. This is what it says about Joseph. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with him when he left. Joseph hadn't forgotten who his dad was, who his granddad was, and who his great-granddad was. He hadn't forgotten the covenant promise that was given to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob. He hadn't forgotten that God had promised his people, that you are my people, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky, and you will live in the land of Canaan. That is the land I am promising to you. For all of Joseph, for most of Joseph's life, they were living in Egypt. Joseph never forgot who his father was. Never forgot the promise that God had given to his, to his grandfathers. And it was his faith that said, we're not staying here, guys. God has promised something better for us. He has given us the promised land. So when you get there, take my bones with you. I'm going to be buried there. I don't want to be buried in the land of my oppressors. I want to be with the land of my people. It's a really important thing to remember about Joseph is that he didn't just focus on his problems, he focused on the big picture of what God had promised. And that's our first thing that we can learn from the story of Joseph is that God keeps his promises. And that's what we can learn too. God kept his promise with Jacob he kept his promise with Joseph. He keeps keeping his promise. In Hebrews 10, it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Do you know there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible that God makes to people? Over 7,000. And God has made a promise to you. He has promised you that he sent his son to die for you 
so that you can have a relationship with God and you have nothing stopping you from being together with God. That's a promise he's given to you. He hasn't broken that and he never will. God has promised that he will always be with us. And that's our second point, that what we can learn from Joseph's story is that the Lord is with you. Four times in one chapter, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and the Lord is with you too. Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, and if you are following Christ, you are a disciple of Christ. He said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you through your good times, through your it's all good times, and in your it's all good times, God is with you. God never left Joseph's side. But that doesn't mean that our life is always going to be good because God is with us. Sometimes our life is going to suck, and that's what happened with Joseph. And Paul actually says this in 2 Timothy. He says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Paul is actually saying sometimes you're going to have an even worse life because you are a Christian. But God is still with you through that time. God never leaves your side. And we can see that with Joseph. God never left him. He's in prison and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord never left his side. The third thing we can learn is that God gives you the skills that you need. Not too early, not too late, right at the perfect time. When Joseph got his dreams, he didn't have the skill to interpret at that point. God didn't tell him the interpretation. He only gave Joseph that skill when the cupbearer and the baker came along. And then when Pharaoh had his dream, God gave him the skill again. God gives you the skills you need when you need them and not before and not after. In Philippians, Paul writes, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God will give you what you need when you need it. He has given you the Holy Spirit that will help you when you need help. And the fourth thing we can learn from this story is that God makes all things good. It's all good. Genesis 50, 20, we read it before. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. We read this again in Romans chapter 8. In verse 28, Paul writes, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If you love God, if you're a Christian, God has called you according to his purpose and he makes all things work good for you. He makes all things work together for good for you as a Christian. He makes sure of it. He makes all things good. And so we're back to this phrase, it's all good. And this is the reason why I chose this phrase because I actually think there's a third way we can use it. We can use it in the first way of like, no, it actually is all good. The second way of like, it's all good, when it's not good. But we can use it in a third way. God makes it good. It's all good because God makes it good. And I want to, because I've known I've been talking about this for a week or so, 
every time this phrase has come up in my in my life this week, happened today as I was walking into the offices today, somebody was like, yeah, yeah, it's all good. I'm now changing that in my head to God makes it good. Because it's a phrase that I say a lot. It's a phrase I hear a lot. And if all of us, can imagine if all of us as a church change this phrase as a trigger into a trigger point for us, that we remember Joseph, we remember that God makes all things good. That's a challenge I have for you this week. <clears throat> and this is something that has happened in my life. You know, I'm not just saying that we should do these four things, that we should remember that God makes all things good. And I'm not standing here saying, I've had a blessed life. I mean, I have had a blessed life because of God. But there's been times in my life that kind of suck. Many of you know this, when I was 14, my dad suddenly died. Just died. He had a heart attack. And he was gone. And it really sucked. Year nine is like the worst year of high school. Sorry for any year nines that are here. But like, it's a, it's a well-known fact. Year nine is the worst year. It was really, it was really bad for me. Because <laughs> right in the middle of the year, I lost one of my parents. And it sucked. And I don't look back at that time and I go, oh yeah, that was actually a good time in my life. No, I look back and I go, yeah, it did suck. I had to learn a lot of things. But because... God works all things together for his good, I actually am able to look back at that time and to go, you know what? It actually ended up being good. God did work it for good. Because of that, I was forced to step out of my shell, to step out of my comfort zone, because I was such a daddy's girl. Like, I would hide behind his shadow. I was too scared to walk from the car door to the front door of my friend's house. Like, I was too scared to submit an assignment without my dad proofreading it. Like, I basically went to him for everything. And I was like, this, this really, I needed him to help me do pretty much everything in my life. The spirit keys now. I needed, I needed my dad, and then all of a sudden that was taken away from me. So I had to force myself and I had to trust in God to be able to just kind of live as a student. So when I say it's all good that God makes it work together for good, I'm not saying this as a like abstract idea. I'm saying this because I have experienced it multiple times. I look back on every time my life was hard and I can see now with hindsight that God was making it all together for good because each of those experiences have molded me and changed me and taught me so much about who God is and His plan for me. And I love how we're just finishing, a, we just finished a series on James and how Josh was talking about that in week one. We need to make lemonade out of lemons. And that's what God does for us every single time. And it's what God did for Joseph. Because Joseph never forgot the bigger picture. He never forgot who God was. He never focused on his problems. He remembered God and he remembered that God intends all things for good have the rest of the band come that would be great you know Joseph's story I said we could learn these four things we can get them back up there we could learn these four things from Joseph's story but I actually think we can learn four things from your story too because I'm sure if you're a Christian and you've looked back on your life I'm sure you can see that God always kept his promises with you you can see that the Lord was always with you 
that you can look back and you can go, you know what, God did give me the skills that I needed in that moment. You can look back and you go, you know what, God really did make all things good. Or maybe you're in the time of life where things are bad, where you're like, so good. Remember that God will make all things good. And so I wanted, what I want to do now is something a little bit different. I don't want to have this like slow, sad worship time. Those are good. It's all good. But what I want to do is remember the good. And I want us to praise God together. Because when we're in that time of, oh, it's really hard. Or when we're in that time of reflection, when we look back and go, that was really really hard. The best thing to do is to worship God and to tell Him how good He is. So I've asked these guys to do a song that came out when I was in high school. I know a long time ago. Uh, But this song came out. It's called Your Love Never Fails. It's a great song. It's by Jesus Culture. And the bridge of it says, You make all things work together for my good. And I was thinking this week, how powerful would it be if we had an entire, entire church of people singing that out? That God makes all things work together for our good. If we had an entire church of people remembering the big picture that God has a plan that is good and pleasing and perfect. And the chorus of this song, it's so great as well. It says, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when I'm, I don't have to be afraid because God is with me. If you don't know this song, I know it's a bit of an old one. We haven't done it in a very long time. If you don't know it, I encourage you to stand and, and sing along to the chorus and the bridge. It's, once you hear it a couple of times, it's easy to sing along to. But just to stand and reflect and to praise God and to tell Him how good He is. Tell Him your problems and say, God, I really need your help in this moment because like, I don't see the good, but I know you are good, so I need your help. And then just sing and tell God He is good and that He makes all things good. And then watch what happens as you keep your eyes on Jesus and not on your problems. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to sing this song and it's going to be joyous and incredible. And we're just going to like raise the roof and just sing our praises to God. So Lord, let's everyone stand up. Feel free to raise your hands out to God, to reach out to Him. Dear Lord Jesus, thank You so much that we can learn so much about You in the story of Joseph. Thank You that we can learn that You make all things good. That even if we're in the middle of a storm, You are still there with us. That You do turn all things into God and all things into good. And God, we praise You today. We worship Your Name on high. We lift You up, God, because that's what You deserve. That's where You belong. Lord God, I thank you so much that you have a plan and a promise for each and every one of us and that you always keep your promises. Lord, I thank you that you are with us in everything we do. Lord, I thank you that you give us the skills we need when we need them to deal with our problems. And Lord, most of all, I thank you that you make all things good. Lord, we thank you, we love you and we worship you today, Lord God. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.